In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. How can this be? Mary asks the angel. How can this be? And the angel reminds Mary that nothing is impossible for God. You know, all throughout the prayers of today's Mass, the Mass for the Immaculate Conception, there are all these little golden nuggets of theological insight about how nothing is impossible for God. In the opening prayer, for instance, it talked about the crucifixion and that Mary was saved from the stain of original sin by the crucifixion. Now, what's the problem with that? Mary is here, the crucifixion's there, so how's that possible, right? Doesn't one come before the other? Well, for God, time is not the same as time is for us. God foreknows everything. He foresees everything. For him, today and tomorrow and the day before are all the same thing. And so God, who's outside of time, works differently. All things are possible for God. And of course, God is all-powerful and all-knowing. All things are powerful for God. So what seems impossible for us humans is possible for God. And I think that's an important thing for us to keep in mind in our prayer life, both on two accounts. When we ask God for things, we should ask him for difficult things, things that might even seem impossible because nothing's impossible for God. And when things don't go the way we want them to go, we also have to understand that God's ways aren't our ways. For God, yesterday and today and tomorrow are all the same, right? So in God's time, all things work for good for those who love him. And so Mary is a beautiful example of the way that God works in creation. And I think Mary is an answer to one of the most difficult objections that people have to the goodness of God. It's not infrequently as a priest, and maybe as Catholics, you've already heard this in your life, that someone will say to you, well, if God's good and he's all-powerful and he's all-knowing, why did God allow fill-in-the-blank? Whether it's stubbing your toe in the morning or a war, Right? Why did God allow this evil into the world? Maybe someone you know is sick. If God's good, why did he allow this person to get sick or me to get sick? I don't understand. And Mary is the answer to that age-old question of the problem of evil. Because Mary reminds us of the fact that God doesn't create evil. That all of the disorder in the world is a function of one thing and one thing alone, sin. We choose to separate ourselves from God. We choose not to do his will. And when we choose not to do his will, to turn our back on him, he doesn't turn his back on us because he loves us and God is love, but we separate ourselves from the source of our life and things start falling apart. You know, if you have an engine for a car and you forget to change the oil, 
bad things happen? Well, God's grace is like the oil that makes the engine of the world work. And so all of us are examples of engines that don't have enough oil. And we're getting lower and lower and lower, except when we go to the sacraments and we get a fill-up. But Mary, in contrast, is an example of an engine in perfect working condition, of a human in perfect working condition, a human who is without sin. And Mary invites us to think about what that might mean, to be without sin. In the pre-Lapsian state, the state before the fall, what would it have been like for human beings? Well, in the state before the fall, human beings were in the presence of God all the time. And they saw God all the time. And they felt close to God even when they didn't see him. And they weren't afraid of being in his presence because they knew they were clothed in righteousness. They were clothed in doing what was right. And so Mary is in that state of original grace, preserved by her son's death on the cross, outside of time, outside of space, from all of the effects of original sin. And you know, the scripture doesn't talk a lot about what that means, but many of the fathers of the church have thought about, well, what would it mean to be without original sin? Saints like St. Ephraim the Syrian wrote extensively about it, and he writes all sorts of wild and bizarre things. Thomas Aquinas talks about what it's like to be without original sin as well. And he suggests that we would have superpowers, not because we're Superman, but because everything in creation is working together, and we're working together with God, and everything we do is in cooperation with the will of God. So if God wants us to go over to the school today, right now, we wouldn't have to go up the stairs. We could just sort of fly through the wall, right? Saints do that. Wouldn't that be fun to be able to just walk through the wall and go over to the school without having to go up the stairs and through the door? Saints can be at more than one place at the same time. Saints can appear outside of space and time. We have all of these apparitions of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Saints don't age. For you who are short, that might be a bad thing. But there's this idea in heaven that we get to be the perfect age, which some people have suggested is 33, and we stop aging. That's good news for people like Father Ron, who's getting old. Right? We don't age. And we don't get sick. And we don't get tired. Now Mary suffered, but she only suffered because she was in the world and surrounded by us, sinners. And we caused her to suffer. That's why she's our lady of sorrows, right? Seven times her heart was pierced by a sword as she watched her son go to the cross, as she watched sin become incarnate in her son's death on the cross. But Mary didn't suffer the way that we suffer from a breakdown in the world. Because as St. Paul tells us, the world is broken because of sin. All of creation groans and travails, awaiting the redemption of the sons of men. The world is made for man, 
and man has turned his back on God, and man is made for God, and so the whole thing has stopped working. And yet Mary is an example of what happens when everything is done according to God's will. And so all of us who receive the grace of the sacraments in baptism and confirmation and Eucharist and the sacrament and confession, we have a share in that life. And we have the ability to imitate Mary with her help and the help of the angels and the saints. And so we are challenged to remake the world as God originally planned. And sadly, he tells us that that's not going to happen. We have to work to make the world his kingdom on earth as in heaven, but it's never going to happen in this life. But we still work for it, trying to save souls, trying to bring people back to that original plan, because we're trying to prepare hearts to be like Mary. We're trying to prepare hearts to be in the presence of God, to experience the life of heaven, the life of grace. It's important to think about what life was before the fall, what Mary embodies in her Immaculate Conception, because it points us to what life will be like when we get to heaven. And every now and then we should think about heaven and why we want to go there. It's really a wondrous thing to think about the joys of heaven. And so as we go to the altar of God today on this feast of the Immaculate Conception, we ask our Lord to help us to ponder the answer to the problem of evil, to ponder what life would have been like before the fall and what we know that life will be like in heaven after this world ends and a new world comes into being, because that's what God's promised us. He's promised us that this world, because of sin, is just too broken. We can't put it back together again. But he's going to bring to us a new world and do something new, restoring all things in Christ. And Mary is the first step in that restoration. She's the sign of things that are to come. She's the sign of the church. And so as we go to the altar of God, we ask the Lord to help us enter into this thought, into this reflection, and help us to cooperate with the grace that Mary received in this unique way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.